I sat down after doing Pew Packers, and Julie leaned over and said, you forgot to announce about the Bible Bowl. I meant to and, and uh, really wanted to. And then my friend Thomas got up and made the announcement about the Bible Bowl. So uh, again, that is going to be this upcoming Sunday, and I hope that uh, all of our young people can participate. I understand that we've had a lot of in and out this, this quarter, <laughs> a lot of uh, going in and people not feeling well and kids missing class. But uh, I hope that if you're able to participate, that you'll be here. And again, uh, we'll need adults to be present, and it's a fun time. Uh, these young people, I don't want them never to stress about it, but we have a good time. They, they really uh, do a wonderful job. I'm always proud of them. And uh, just if you're not able to be here uh, next Sunday at 3.30 when the Bible Bowl begins, if you want to come a little early, around 4.30 or so, uh, we'll do the award presentation, and uh, that's always a good time. Always a fun time, and uh, again, it's just a very uh, laid-back, good, friendly competition uh, as a way of reminding our kids what they have learned through the quarter. So again, if you can be a part of that next Sunday afternoon, Lord willing, uh, we will have that. Look forward to it all the time. Now, tonight, what I'd like to do is think about a concept that really goes back all the way to the very beginning of time. A concept that goes all the way back to the very beginning of time. In fact, if you go back in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, it goes all the way back to the very first words that are recorded for us in the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Darkness was all that was here. Darkness covered the face of the deep. I have it underlined and highlighted so you can see that we're thinking about darkness. And the Bible says that that's what it was. In the beginning, there was no light. But the very next verse says, Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. Oh, to have been there and to see the the switch be flipped. To see light when there wasn't any. To see darkness all of a sudden be dispelled when God simply spoke the words, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, the Bible says, that it was good. And then God did something amazing. He divided the light from the darkness. God was able, of course, to do this. And He was able to say, Okay, light, you're going to come this far. And darkness, you're going to come this far. But they're both going to exist at the same time. In fact, if you continue in the book of Genesis, you drop down to verse number 18 in chapter 1. The Bible will tell us that God is going to make two great lights. A greater light to rule the day and a lesser light to rule the night. And these lights are going to be used by God to, again, divide darkness and light. I don't know. I think we just take it for granted, don't we? We just take it for granted that the sun is going to rise in the morning. The sun is going to set in the evening. The sun is going to be there in the day. And the moon is going to be there at night. And the stars are going to be out. And we're very spoiled here in West Texas with a big sky. And these things are just going to exist because they've always existed. But it is God who established that, right? It is God who set it up that way. And it is God who continues even now to sustain it, to keep it that way, to divide 
darkness and light. He does that in a physical way. That's the way He made it, and that's the way it continues to be. But this is a concept going back all the way to the beginning that God then is going to use all the way through the Bible. It's a concept that you and I can understand. And He is going to describe Himself as a God who is light in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 5. God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. And so you take this physical concept that God has made in dividing darkness and light, and then it carries over into a spiritual aspect where God says, Hey, I'm the light. I am the light, and in fact, in me is absolutely no darkness at all. Now, just turn over there to 1 John chapter 1, and just continue reading there in verses 6 and 7, because as that context continues to unfold, in verse number 6, The Bible says that if we say that we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But, verse 7, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with Him and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanses us from our sin. And so there is this difference between darkness and light. It is true physically, it is also true spiritually. We need to understand it. It's not a difficult concept for us to grasp. But spiritually speaking, what is the difference between darkness and light? How do I know when I'm in the light? Well, this verse teaches us that the difference between the two is in our practicing the truth. Those who claim to have fellowship with God and yet walk in darkness, John says, through inspiration of God, you are lying and you are not practicing the truth. So, I can know whether I'm walking in the light. I can know whether I am in a right relationship with God. It comes not only down to my believing in God, my trusting in God, but ultimately my willingness to obey God, to go with Him and not against Him. There's a difference between walking in the light and walking in Darkness, And John lays it out for us pretty plainly here that we can understand the two. Now tonight, I want you to think about that concept of darkness and light. And I want to illustrate it very simply with Nicodemus. I want you to go to John chapter 3 with me. And it's good for us to look at Nicodemus, do it just a small and slight character study. And there are three times that Nicodemus is mentioned in the book of John. Tonight, I just want to look at the three of those instances where Nicodemus is mentioned in the book of John. And there is a phrase that John is going to use repeatedly when it comes to Nicodemus. Shad read it for us a moment ago. In John chapter 3, this is where we are first introduced to Nicodemus. And the Bible tells us that Nicodemus came in order to hear what Jesus would have to say. I want to hear what you have to say. It's a wonderful thing for us to think about the fact that who is this man? The Bible tells us very plainly in chapter 3 and verse number 1 that Nicodemus is a Pharisee and he is a, a ruler of the Jews. The Bible says, a Pharisee and a ruler of the Jews. These people did not make it a habit of hanging out with Jesus, did they? In fact, if they were around Jesus, it was always with a very critical eye. They always were watching Jesus critically that they might have something with which to accuse Him. 
They were always listening to Jesus so they might trap Him in His words and be able to use His words against Him. They were always watching critically and listening critically. But Nicodemus is different. Nicodemus came to listen to what Jesus had to say. And the Bible tells us that he came to Jesus by night. He came to Jesus by night. All three times when John talks about Nicodemus, he's always going to refer back to the fact that Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. I cannot stand up here tonight and say emphatically that I know exactly why he came to Jesus by night. I don't know and I'm not going to claim to know. But I think it is logical for us to say this is a Pharisee and a ruler of the Jews who had something to lose should he be caught listening and watching Jesus uncritically, without criticism, just wanting to know what Jesus was about. Just wanting to listen to what he had to say. He had something to lose, it would seem, should he have been caught in the presence of Jesus in this way. I believe that's why he came to Jesus by night. If you believe for another reason, go ahead. That's fine. I'm not going to say that that I'm right and you're wrong, but it seems to me, logical to me, that he had something to lose if he was seen. Nicodemus had some very commendable traits. I want you to think about these with me from John chapter 3 for just a moment. In Nicodemus, I believe that we see a man who was humble. You know, that's not something typically that we would associate with a Pharisee, is it? Typically, we're not going to associate humility with a ruler of the Jews. When we read about the ruler of the Jews, these were arrogant, filled with pride. These were people who were holier than thou, who were better than everybody else. And humility was about the last word that you would use to describe this individual. But I think we can use it with Nicodemus and we can use it very easily. How does he address Jesus? How does your Bible read? Nicodemus came to Jesus by night, a ruler of the Jews, a Pharisee, and he calls him rabbi. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. Um, I thought the Pharisees were to be the teachers. I thought the rulers of the Jews, they were the ones who were the teachers. And so for Nicodemus to refer to Jesus in this way was a very act of humility. You're a teacher come from God. I have come to listen to what you have to say. I understand there is something very special about you. I understand that, uh, that there's just nobody who can do what you do. And that leads me to number two. He was honest. I, I understand, Jesus, that you must be from God because I'm watching you. I see what you're doing. I'm watching all the miracles that you're performing. And I know I can't do those. I know that there's no other ruler of the Jews or Pharisee who can do what you do. You must be from God. Isn't it disgusting that so many of the Pharisees watch Jesus perform miracle after miracle after miracle and would refuse who He was? Isn't that disgusting to to think about? That they saw and they listened to what Jesus taught and they would continually refuse Him and all that He was about? 
Here's a man who's at least honest enough to say, listen, I know there has to be something special about you because I can't do what you do. Nobody can. I'm watching you, and I'm, I'm honest enough to admit it. And number three, in this context, here's a man who is engaged. Now, just pick up with me in verse number three. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? I have this point on the screen behind me, the word engaged. You see, Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. He humbly says, I know that you have to be from God. I have been watching you. I'm honest enough to know that you're performing miracles that no one else can perform. And he is engaged in the words of Jesus. He is asking questions. To have been there that night, just as an observer, to watch this all unfold, as this Pharisee comes into the presence of Jesus, and John records no small talk. All right, No introductions. No, who are you? What are you about? Uh, Hey, my name is Nicodemus. What's yours? I mean, there's where are you from? There's no small talk that goes on. Uh, I know that you have to be from God. And Jesus immediately says, "Uh, you know what? I'm telling you truly, unless one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus just dives in, doesn't he? He just dives right into the middle of it. I'm not mincing any words, he says. I'm getting right to the heart of the matter. Unless one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Nicodemus responds with two questions. You see, he's engaged in this conversation. He's paying attention to what Jesus has to say. Jesus is going to expound. He's going to talk a little more. He's going to talk about the flesh. And he's going to talk about the spirit. Man is made up of flesh. And man is born of, of, man has a part of him that is spirit that's going to live forever. I'm not talking about the flesh being born again. I'm talking about the Spirit being born again. The Spirit being born of water and the Spirit. Obviously, again, he's talking about baptism. It is there that we are born again. The Bible makes very, very clear for us. It is there that the old man of sin is put away. Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 6. It is in baptism that it is like circumcision, where that old man, again, is cut off by the power of God. It's nothing we do. It's what God does when we are baptized, according to Paul in Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. We're born of water. but then we're also born of the Spirit. The Spirit has given to us the very words of God. The very words of God that we obey. The very words of God that tell us how we can walk in the light. All Scripture given by the inspiration of God. 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. We're born again by the Word of God. Peter says, not of the corruptible seed, but of the incorruptible Word of God. 1 Peter 1, verses 22 and 23. 
Paul would tell those in Corinth that they were born through the gospel. 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 15. The Spirit has provided us what we need in order to know how to enter and be a part of the kingdom that belongs to Jesus Christ. He's engaged. All right, he's, he's in it. Verse number 9, how can these things be? I am a part of this conversation. Jesus, I want to know more. I'm here to listen to what you have to say. Continue with me in chapter 3 and drop down to verse number 18. John chapter 3 and verse number 18, because it comes back to this darkness and light concept. We all know verse 16, but drop down to verse 18. The Bible says, He who believes in him who is, is or he who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this, Jesus says, is the condemnation that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. How do I know if I'm walking in darkness? My deeds are evil. Verse 20 says, For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. If I'm going to be in the light, I must be willing to listen to Jesus. I must believe Him, and I must be allowing Him to dictate my deeds and what I do in this life. Nicodemus wants to listen to Jesus, but he's in the dark. He comes in the dark. The second time that we read about Nicodemus is over in John chapter 7. Turn over just a few pages to John chapter 7 because what we're going to watch is a man go from darkness to light. And I want you to see this progression with me in the life of Nicodemus. In John chapter 7, I'm going to get to verse number 45 in just a moment, but gain a little context with me for just a second. If you back up to verse number 32 in John chapter 7... The Bible tells us that the Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring these things concerning Him, that is Jesus, and the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take Him. All right, that's important to this context. So they have sent officers to go and arrest Jesus. He's in Jerusalem. And go get Him. Bring Him here to us. All right, so now, verse number 40, Jesus has done some teaching. And in verse number 40... The Bible says that many from the crowd, when they heard this saying, said, Truly, this is the prophet. And others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Will the Christ come out of Galilee? Has not the Scripture said that the Christ comes from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem where David was? And so there was division among the people because of him. And some of them wanted to take him, but no one laid hands on him. All right, so in verse 32... These officers have been sent by the Pharisees and the chief priests to go and arrest Jesus. You drop down, though, to verse number 44, and the Bible says they didn't do it. All right? They didn't arrest him. Now, verse 45. The officers come to the chief priests and the Pharisees who said to them, Why have you not brought him? And the officers answered, No man ever spoke like this man. And the Pharisees answered them, Are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. And Nicodemus, 
He who came to Jesus by night, being one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he is doing? They answered and said to him, Are you also from Galilee? Search and look, for no prophet has arisen from Galilee. In John chapter 3, Jesus was uh, approached by Nicodemus in the dark. In John chapter 7, all right, Nicodemus was wanting to hear Jesus in John chapter 3. In John chapter 7, Nicodemus is going to help Jesus. I'll show you in just a moment how he did. But there's a trait here that I want you to see of Nicodemus. They're, they're incensed, right? The Pharisees and rulers, they're incensed that, that Jesus wasn't arrested. When those guards came back empty-handed, they were so upset Why have you not brought him? That was your job. That's what we sent you to do. Why would you come back without him? Here are some honest individuals. They didn't try to make any excuses. They simply said, no one talks like he talks. We just couldn't bring ourselves to do it. And the Pharisees begin to belittle. You know, that's what bullies do. They begin to belittle Uh, They're going to elevate themselves, right? In this context, they're going to think of themselves. Again, here's where their pride comes in. This is what makes Nicodemus all the more special because this is the normal reaction of these individuals, these Pharisees and rulers of the Jews. They began to demean the officers. Are you also deceived? Well, you're just like the commoners out there. You're just like the crowd. They're all deceived. They can't think for themselves. They're not smart enough like we are. He didn't have to do this. Nicodemus, I I don't know if he raised his hand. I don't know how he got everyone's attention. I don't know how he did it in this setting. We're not told. But I know he didn't have to. But somehow Nicodemus gets the floor. And Nicodemus, in a way that he could, he stood up for Jesus, didn't he? He reminds these peers of his, about the law. Does a law judge a man before it even hears what he has to say for himself? He didn't have to stand up and say anything, brethren. He didn't have to move. He didn't have to speak out. He could have just left it alone. He could have just left it so that everybody just assumed that he was thinking as they were. You think peer pressure is just for teenagers? It's not, is it? He could have just given in to peer pressure right here and said, you know what, I'm just going to be quiet. I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. I'm just going to let them assume that I'm with them and and that I'm still against Jesus. I'm just going to let this go. But he couldn't. He didn't. He spoke out. And then they ridiculed him. Ah, are you from Galilee? Are you just a commoner just like them? Are you really going to lump yourself in with those officers over there? Are you really just going to lump yourself in with this crowd of commoners? This uneducated people? These people who are so easily deceived? There's a progression that's going to take place in the life of Nicodemus. And I'm saying in this instance, it took great courage for him to say what he did. He didn't come right out and say, you know what, I'm a follower of Jesus. He's not to that point. 
But he is to a point where he's at least been honest enough, engaged with Jesus enough, wanting to hear Jesus, that he's at least willing to look at the situation and assess where things are. And he helped Jesus. Do you know what the, the last verse of that chapter says? In chapter 7, after Nicodemus speaks out, verse 53 says, Everyone went to his own house. You know what Nicodemus did? He bought Jesus more time. He bought Jesus more time. Jesus could continue to walk the streets. Jesus could continue to teach. Jesus could continue to perform miracles. Jesus could continue to reach out to those that He came to save. Nicodemus, just by saying what he said, it's as if the place dispersed. The meeting was over. All right, we're all going home. And he bought Jesus more time. That's how he helped Jesus. May still be in the shadows, but we're getting closer to light. Finally, maybe most notably, maybe you know this well. The final time that he's mentioned is in John chapter 19. Jesus is dead. And the Bible says in verse 38 that after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, he asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds, and they, took, and they took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips of linen with spices as the custom of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So there they laid Jesus because of the Jews' preparation day for the tomb was nearby. Where have we come? Now Nicodemus is honoring Jesus. He began by hearing Jesus, then he helped Jesus, and now he's honoring Jesus. We begin by looking at these commendable traits. And then the last one I want you to think with me tonight is that, that in the end, he exposed himself. He made it clear. No longer am I in the cover of night no longer am I just going to, to speak, but not really allow people to know exactly where I am. But now, I want there to be no guessing. I want people to know exactly where I stand when it comes to Jesus. Two men, it would seem, went to Pilate, or had the body of Jesus and put it in that tomb. Would you have thought in John chapter 3 that there's any chance that one of those men would be Nicodemus? I say there's no way anybody thought that in the end, this is the man who's going to be burying Jesus. The ruler of the Jews is going to go to the ruler of the Gentiles and get the body of Jesus and put it in a tomb. You didn't see that coming in John chapter 3. He's hiding. He's under cover of darkness. But in the end, I want there to be no secret about where I stand with Jesus. Tonight, brethren and friends, 
Why would we stay in darkness when Jesus allows us to be saved in the light? Why would we choose to align ourselves with anyone but Jesus? Why would we try to hide our light from anyone in this world? I want to be like Nicodemus. And I just want to be in the clear, in full view, for everyone to see, I'm a follower of Jesus. That's who I am. And that's all I'm about. It's neat to see a progression like that. It's neat to watch darkness to light. What's tragic is to watch one go the other way. What's tragic is to watch one be a follower of Jesus one day and and that progressive uh, going to darkness and wandering away. Tonight the story has good news, doesn't it? One can go from darkness to light and they can be saved. And tonight, I don't know where you find yourself. I don't know who you're hiding from. I don't know if you've given into peer pressure. I don't know where you find yourself. But I do know that Jesus came to rescue you. That Jesus came to deliver you from the power of Satan. That Jesus came to allow you to be forgiven of your sin. I know tonight that Jesus came to deliver you from the power of darkness, that you can be in the light. That's what He told Paul in Acts 26 and verse 18. That's why I'm sending you, He said to Saul, to the Gentiles. He's come to deliver you. Your deeds tonight, are they in the light? Are they in the darkness? Are you hiding? Or are you being exposed Tonight, if you as a Christian have wandered away, you find yourself in the shadows or walking toward the darkness, it's time to turn around, my friend. It's time to be with Jesus in the light. But tonight, if you're lost, you've never obeyed the gospel, and you know tonight that's exactly what you need to do, then won't you come to Him tonight? Won't you have the same... same uh, commendable traits that we find in Nicodemus? Won't you come in in humility, being honest, engaging yourself in the Word of God and knowing who Jesus is, courageously coming and saying, I'm going to be a follower of His. I'm just not going to have it any other way. Will you come to Him tonight, believing Him to be the Christ, the Son of God, as Nicodemus came to? Are you ready tonight to make that confession before others, to repent of sin in your life, to turn away from the darkness and go to the light? Are you ready tonight to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins? Tonight, if that's, if that's you, then delay no longer. Come now, while together we stand and while we sing.